This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Yield App, Cosmos Ecosystem, and Paraswap. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. Hey everyone, I am Charlie Schramm, and you are watching and listening Untold Stories, where twice a week, together we get to dive deep with some of most crypto's influential leaders, smartest people in the room, to really understand uh, how this movement came to be and where we're going there's so much now in this industry that you're being pulled in so many different directions and there's so much saturation. So lately I find myself having to, to be this person to like slice through the fear, uncertainty and doubt and all the crap that's there. And it's my pleasure to do that. Um, really my pleasure today uh, to be here with uh, Douglas Borthwick. Doug, Douglas, sorry about that. He's a chief marketing and business development officer at INX. Um, and I'm really excited to have you today because you have such uh, uh, an extensive background in credit and capital markets. You held various roles at Morgan Stanley uh, from the 90s until 2005, uh, Merrill Lynch, uh, FX Trading Services. And then I saw something in my research that you were the uh, voice trading business. What's a voice trading business? You know, voice trading business is when a hedge fund or anyone else calls up on a telephone and says, give me a price in $500 million against the yen. And a salesperson, they'll be calling a salesperson. The salesperson then yells over to a trading desk and the trader looks at where all the prices are and all the different services and figures out and says, you know what, I'll show you a price here, 35, 38. And then the salesperson goes back and says, look, the price is 34, 39. They take a little spread, the sales guys. And then the hedge fund on the other end of the phone will say mine at 39. And then I'll have to go out there and cover it as, as, as the trader in the market. So there's a lot of yelling back and forth. Voice trading is what you're used to seeing traders doing. When you look at photos in the 80s or you watch movies in the 80s of guys yelling and screaming on trading floors. Nowadays, it's lots of clicks. But back in the crazy? day, it was a lot of yelling. So it's like, it reminds me of how uh, Bitcoin OTC first started in the early days. You'd have like... Um, so like you go to the New York Bitcoin Center in 2012 and every day there was a trading floor and because it was like Wall Street and mm -hmm. yeah, everything was digital, of course, trading Bitcoin, and everything. But because New York was such a, a center of Bitcoin at the time in the early days, really, there was no other center. It was New York, uh, even before Silicon Valley took, took this on. You'd go to this place and there would be a guy get up every day. And he would just start doing trading, live trading. Like I have offers. These are the offers. These are the bids. Who wants? And he starts creating and you'd be able to buy large blocks. It was really the only place you could buy large blocks yeah. of Bitcoin. I sold Fred Wilson his first Bitcoin in a park on a street. Union Square Ventures, a guy that's investing hundreds of millions of dollars. His first Bitcoin post, like this crazy kid, Charlie, sold me this thing called Bitcoin. Like, uh, so how you're describing that versus your view on the credit and capital markets over the years, and now you're involved in INX, and you're, you're kind of like seeing that same evolution, are you not? For sure, for sure. Look, the way that Bitcoin, the way that any market develops, even equities, right? Equities used to be traded against a wall down on a street in Manhattan with guys buying and selling slips of paper with each other. And that's how it was done. Currencies was the same way. It was guys yelling and screaming over telephones, trying to get business done. Bitcoin, the same thing. You had guys screaming and yelling on an OTC basis. And still, that happens today. It, when when Sailor comes in and he buys Bitcoin, he's not going on to Coinbase and saying, buy, 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 and keeping hitting the button. He's got guys going out there and collecting as many Bitcoin as they can, bringing it in under one umbrella, like an aggregation system, 
and just lifting the offers. And so all markets start off on this sort of OTC, this voice business, and then they move into the electronic business, which obviously is, you know, where INEX is coming into this right now. But there's other guys in this in this business too. You know, Coinbase is electronic, Kraken, you know, that that's just the well, way INX that it happens. Is- is going next level. So, so when I first started looking at INX and and uh, and I became an investor in INX as well. When, when I first start, when, when people first started looking, you know, it's so funny. When I started doing this podcast, I started, uh, I I swore off investing in the space. I was like, I'm done. But as I talk to people and get involved in different, like I have 175 episodes and I meet so many people along the way, I end up just you know uh, getting involved in so many projects. But when you're looking at this, uh I guess it's a good way to to invest, but when you're looking at this, the 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 businesses in the industry have been built and have grown to service within the industry, and then who they believe will slowly come to the industry, not biting off more than they can chew. It mm-hmm. seems INX is really going the next level and trying to to raise the standard of the bar for for what we look at, like security tokens and regulations and how the SEC and governments would be involved. Instead of like having them be involved at the end, you can have them involved. Like, why take off this such a big bite? You know, well, most of us have come from an institutional background, right? If you look at our board, it's obviously David Wheel that was vice chairman of NASDAQ, or Nick Thedany that ran the Toronto Stock Exchange, Tom Lewis that ran TD Ameritrade, or sorry, Ameritrade. And so we know that if you want to deal with large U.S. institutions from day one, you've got to have a strong foundation and you have to work with regulators. And when you get in trouble with the regulators just once, that's a stain that takes a long time to get away, to wash away. And so we spent three years working with the SEC to create something that we think would be sort of that next level, as you discuss. Think about security tokens. They've been around for, what, seven years? digital securities, but they were only for rich people, for accredited investors. And they had lockup periods. I mean, who's ever going to trade that product? Well, I'll tell you, maybe there's 10,000 people signed up at Open Finance when we bought them. Mm. That was it. 10,000 people, and maybe only 1,000 sign on every day to see where the prices are. That's not a market. If you think about security tokens today, before INEX came along, I think that most of the trading is done by one company. They do 84% of all the trading in the US, and their volumes are less than a million dollars a day. I think that the Italian restaurant downstairs for me probably does more volume. Yeah. <laughs> and so the bar is really low in terms of where security tokens. And we said, you know what? Let's go out there and raise money from retail investors. Let's make security tokens available to retail. And that's what we had to do. We had to actually create that security with the SEC. But by doing that, it means now that if Nike wants to do a security token or a digital security, well, now they can because Nike would never go and make a digital security if only rich people could buy it. They'd only do one if, if, if everyone could buy it. And so we had to spend the money and spend the time with the SEC to create that specific security. And now we've done that, we expect, and Clayton on his way out the door, the old SEC commissioner said, mm. he said he can see all assets moving onto the blockchain. And we think the blockchain assets are big today. What is it, $2 trillion market cap? There's an $87 trillion market cap for equities and $110 trillion market cap for fixed income. When all of that moves onto the blockchain, the valuation of Coinbase is going to be de minimis because all you're seeing right now, your Coinbase is what, the $100 billion valuation off of a $2 trillion market cap industry. When equities move onto the blockchain, that's going to be a 90, 
$90 trillion industry. Give me some numbers here. What are the traditional industries that we think about market cycles and money that's kind of like locked into? So you look at like the market cap of crypto, $2 trillion or whatever. That's money that's now in those cycles, trading between, storing, you know, what are other industries look like? What are some numbers? I don't well, know. Let's foreign exchange. Foreign exchange is maybe $6 trillion oh my God. trading around every single day. And FX you is boring. Equities. You don't even know any FX traders. Well, I used to I'm be just one. Joking. I know. Well, my friends are <laughs> FX traders too. But, but, but you know, the crazy thing with FX traders is you know, because there's maybe only 10 firms that really do most of the business, and there's maybe only one guy that really does most of that, there's, there's really only maybe 20 people in the world that actually do all the foreign exchange trading that you see. 20 individuals for that $6 trillion. They all come through one or two doors. And, but you also then have the equities, 80, 80 to $90 trillion of equities that could move onto the blockchain and fixed income. You know, why are bonds right now where you're getting this interest rate in your 30-year bond and you get your quarterly or your annual payments? Why can't you have it so it's constantly paying you and be sitting on the blockchain? There are so many different things that we're going to be able to do. Think about equities today and think of it not in terms of the way you know it. But if I buy Nike stock, I can only buy between 9.30 in the morning and 4 p.m. at night. Now, why is that? Or 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Why is that? Well, it's because when the stock exchange came around, the guy took his horse and cart in from New Jersey to trade on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And he'd read the morning newspaper before that. So he had to read it before 9 a.m. Sure. And then 4.30, 4.30, they closed the stock exchange so he could get the horse and cart back to New Jersey to hang out with his kids and read the evening newspaper. But you know, we don't get our news from the newspaper anymore, the evening news and the morning news. We get it from Twitter, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we know that the New York Stock Exchange is now just a soundstage for CNBC. There's no one really trading there. And after COVID, everyone knew that computers are doing all the trading anyway. So the question is, why aren't modern um, securities you know, trading 24 hours a day? And the reality is, well, they just haven't caught up. They're in the Stone Age. Now, when about five, six months ago, I would look at the London Stock Exchange, New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, and I thought, man, these guys are guys to aspire to. This is the future. And we went to them. We said, look, we've got the INEX token. And it's a full registered security. We want it to list on the New York Stock Exchange or on NASDAQ. And they said, look, guys, it's going to take years. We can't list digital securities today. And we thought that's probably the best thing, the best news we've ever heard. Because this reminds me a lot of when Tesla, when Elon Musk went to all the big four and he said, guys, electric cars. And they looked at him and said, you know, like, you spend your PayPal money on R&D. Let it go all the way down. And guess what? We'll buy you in a couple of years once you've got no money. Yeah. But look what happened over the last, over, the, over those years, that five, 10 years, Tesla's now got a bigger market cap than the big four. And Coinbase, now is a bigger market cap than the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. And the way I look now at New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ is they're sort of like the blacksmiths. They know every single guy that's got a horse in the area and they all come to that blacksmith to get the shoes put on their horses. But the reality is now we're driving cars. And when you're driving cars, you've got to use the blockchain. If you want to be 24 hours a day, seven days a week with built-in KYC AML with your security, you've got to be on the blockchain. Yeah, you don't have a choice. And these guys aren't. Now, maybe they'll catch up in a couple of years, but maybe they won't. And I think that that's the big you know, discussion because when you take a big ship, as we saw in the Suez Canal, it takes a heck of a long time to move that big ship. Wasn't that the perfect like allegory to where the world is right now when that ship oh, got stuck sure. and like half the world's trade got paused? I was just like kind of laughing about it. all I'm explaining it to like my wife and my friends. I'm like uh just laughing, like as I'm giving my how do you how do you shut down global trade? 
pay off pay off the the pilot on a, a huge ship yeah. that's the size of the Empire State Building. That's how big that ship was. The Empire State Building. It's crazy, unbelievable. And then they had a dead that the digger trying to push it off, off off the shore. DeFi, DeFi, DeFi. You keep hearing me talk about it, and we know at the same time that the stock market is at record highs, but the economy is broken in recession. Government debt is off the charts. They're printing trillions of dollars. We need a new financial system, and I've been talking about it. We've all been talking about it. Decentralized finance. We know that, too. We know that there's like $40 billion in value sitting in all these DeFi protocols, and it's barely a year old. It's new decentralized finance, and it's brilliant, and it works. And there's a lot of money to be made in things like yield farming, being able to provide liquidity. But a lot of them are high risk. There's scams and rug pulls that are so common to investors. We don't want to repeat what happened a few years ago in the crypto space. But what if there was a way to access those DeFi yields in a safe and transparent way? Well, I have the CEO, Tim Frost, of Yield.app, my newest sponsor on the show. Listen to that show and check out Yield.app because here you have this team that is constantly filtering through all these DeFi investments. They're consolidating your gas fees and they're only investing in a select few that generate more than 20%. But their risk is not, they're not just investing in these tokens and waiting for them to do well. They're also providing liquidity. They're doing yield farming. All these low risk, high investment to make the uh, infrastructure more efficient and better. So not only you're investing in making money, but you're also helping to grow this ecosystem. Make sure you check them out at yield.app. That's yield.app. And listen to the untold stories with Tim Frost, the CEO. We have all these coins and tokens and they sit on all these different blockchains and we have to keep multiple wallets and different addresses and everything. And the only way to do it without having to do that is trust a centralized place like an exchange or a broker or an app that you use. Well, what if there was a way to do it without having to trust one different place in the ethos of crypto? Cosmos, my sponsor Cosmos that has been around for so long they're actually following their original roadmap and being able to offer universal wallet, high node synchronization, inter-blockchain communication, bridging Bitcoin and Ethereum together and keeping it all on one wallet, being able to build on top of it and do the coolest things possible. Make sure you check them out at stargate.cosmos.network. You can play with all these different features. It's so cool and it's really bringing the next wave of crypto and adoption. If you really want to be ahead of everyone else and all your friends, make sure you understand the new technology that's coming out. Stargate.cosmos.network. You're going to love it. I've been talking about our sponsor, Paraswap.io, for a while, and I really love them because not only are they our sponsor, but I use them. If you go to Uniswap or any decentralized exchange or even centralized exchange, there's a gas fee for every transaction you do. It just takes time and a lot of money, ends up costing hundreds of dollars. With Paraswap.io, you can actually identify and define all the transactions before you do them, and then it processes them batch in one transaction on the blockchain. Not only that, they just launched their new optimization called Hopper that optimizes gas fees by 30% and, and beats all the market prices that you're used to. It's so cool. Paraswap.io. I love talking about them. You'll love using it. You're going to be like, Charlie, where have you been all my life? So like Coinbase and Tesla are the perfect example where you can have like these major companies that have all this wielding power that can say, oh, we want to buy you for this amount. And if you don't want to sell it to us, you're screwed. But then they can go to these like capital markets. And now because of blockchain, capital markets are borderless. They're all the time. They're more efficient. 
uh, there is actual physical representation, digital. I would argue that blockchain gives you physical representation of your money because right oh, now, sure. if you go, if you get, if your financial institution sends you a letter saying you're closed, what do you, if you have no other financial institution to go to, you have no way to have a representation of the money that was kept at that financial. Think about that for a second. People don't understand. Like if you got shut down of a bank and you have nowhere else to go, if other banks say, we don't want to bank you, where do you do it? You get a, a cashier's check from that bank that you can't do with it anything. You can't deposit it. But now with, with, with what this whole industry has created, that you have that representation of, of that value in a token that you can custodialize on yourself. So now they can be 24 hours and businesses have to compete for the ability and financial institutions have to compete for that capital. They say, you now have a choice where to keep your money. You can actually choose to not keep it with us at all. So now we need your business. So now you have these companies, you have the next big, like, uh, you have the next big, like, vac let's just say someone invents a new way and, you know, can mass market a, a better battery or whatever. And they come to INX because it's a better capital market. What does that process look like for that company? As opposed to if they were like tr go to the traditional SEC auditing route, IPO, you know, the traditional way to do, uh, uh, you know, like large capital raise or get access to like the capital well, market, really scale your business. Let, 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 let's take, let's say your, uh, your, your YouTube show. Okay. Let's say you've got residuals on this YouTube show. You have so many people coming in and every year you're making five, $10 million that are coming in the door into Charlie's pocket. And you say, okay. I, want, I want that money today. I want to be able to invest today. So what we do is we take all of these flows and we flow them into a trust. And we call it the Charlie Shrem Trust. And we put out a prospectus on that with the SEC. That would probably take you nine months, maybe $750,000 up front. But then we would sell it. You'd send a tweet out to every single one of the followers that you have on all social media and say, guys, if you want to invest in my future and in my, web, my, my, my YouTube shows and everything else that I'm doing, you can buy that now here on this webpage. And all of the fans that you have can go to that webpage and invest. And if they buy a certain amount of these tokens in you, guess what? They can meet you, they can hang out with you, they can have dinner with you. And if they don't, then you know they don't. But you can use your fan base or all of your customer base to raise money directly, directly from the general public. And because before now you can have days, retail, you have retail investors. You guys, why go out of your way to to include retail investors because my listeners are saying, well, I can do that now. There are a lot of applications where I can create these like creator coins. Yeah, but that's hey, called crowdfunding, right? It's crowdfunding, oh, crowd, it's not securitized. Crowdfunding is limited to like $5 million. Charlie, I know that the residuals for you are probably 50 to $100 million. Yes, I wish. And you'd like the bigger bucks coming in today and you could sell to retail. Now, why sell to retail? If you just sell to accredited investors, there's no trading. If you sell to retail, retail loves to trade. But not just that, we want the, the, the retail guy that's trading crypto has been able to trade crypto, Ethereum, Bitcoin, on all these exchanges, but they haven't been able to trade security tokens because the security tokens then have this limitation. Say, sorry, guys, only for accredited investors. And we wanted to take the millions of people that trade crypto on our platform and say, look, press this tab and now you can trade all these securities 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now you've got a market. Would you rather have something and list something where there's 10,000 people that can trade it or where there's millions of people that can trade it? Once you million. open up to retail, I think you open up to around $40 trillion of, of, of money that can invest in your project 
When you just keep it for accredited investors, you're really limiting yourself and the liquidity of that product. And it's not transparent. And that's a big thing because everything is on a blockchain. Things can be followed a lot closer. And you also prevent uh, five or six stupid people from messing up the overall market. So you mm -hmm. look at what happened with, uh, I, I, is it Archegos? Ar how do you pronounce it? The Archic Capital Management fallout that had a, lot, a big thing last week was like, Credit Suisse took like a $4.7 billion write-off because of it. A bunch of things happened. Uh, what, what happened there? And like, how, how could... Well, that was all about margin. Yeah. You know, the guys get $10 billion sitting in a bank account and all the prime brokers say, you know what, we'll give you up to $75 billion to trade. And he traded in all sorts of products. They didn't have to report because it was registered as a family office. And so the reporting standards are lower. And so when some of these products started going down in price, there were margin calls. And folks were sitting there saying, well, we can get out now or we could sit there in a meeting with all the other prime brokers and decide to do something as a group. And Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs said, you know what, we're getting out right now. Because you've got to think about yourself. Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs report into their shareholders. Mm. They don't report to the greater good. And so they were, I think they were quite smart to go out and they say, you know what, we're getting out of this right now. We've got to protect the shareholders. And the other guys, maybe they, had, they, maybe they didn't have the ability to turn around and say, make that snap decision of let's get out of these products. Maybe the risk managers didn't have that ability. They had to go and seek you know, the approval from others. And so they ended up losing money because it took them a longer time to actually pull the trigger. Now, one of the cool things about the blockchain, and you, you talked about this, is when you buy a security on the blockchain, obviously your ownership is immutable and it shows up there. And if you go on Etherscan, you can look in someone's wallet address and you can see what they own. That's pretty astounding. Mm. With the INEX token specifically, let's say you lose it. You know, you always hear about the boating accident. I'm sure when the IRS call you, Charlie, you're going to say, you know what? I lost all my Bitcoin in a boating accident. Yeah. And no one can ever prove it. So it's great. But with the, the security, you can't, every month. Don't worry. You, with the security, <laughs> you can't give that excuse. You can't say, I lost my 401k in a boating accident. Or I lost my IRA in a boating accident. Yeah. And so with the, with, with, with the SEC, we created the smart contract and a whitelisting thing that when you buy the INEX token, You'd go through AML KYC and we register that against your wallet and we whitelist it. And let's say you lose your token somehow, you lose your wallet, you, you forget your, your, your passphrases. That's fine. We'll just reissue the tokens and we'll revoke the tokens we'd given you before. And so now you can't lose your security. But let's say that they they, you've bought these INX tokens and the, the government comes and says, you know what, Charlie, we believe that he's a Russian asset. Sure. And we want to freeze his accounts. That's easy. If you subpoena me, I could say, well, okay, let's freeze your account. Now, you can't do that with Nike because Nike has no idea at any moment in the day who owns their stock. No clue. And in fact, you could own Nike stock. You could give Nike stock to me. I could sell it. I get the cash. That's money laundering. Once securities all go onto the blockchain, you can't do that, that for trade anymore because you can only trade something, send it from one person to the other if the other wallet's also been whitelisted. And so you cut out all this and money laundering that happens in the US. And if you listen to Janet Yellen lately in Poland, yeah. when they're talking about Bitcoin and they're talking about cryptocurrency, what they're worried about is AML and KYC. And what INEX has done is just bitten, you know, bitten the neck off the chicken essentially and just said, look, this is happening. It's going to happen. So let's just be the creators of what's going to end up being you know, the, the pathway. So you've created future. like a whole turnkey approached approach and it's built facing out towards folks who are not in crypto right now who want to understand like how 
they can uh, get access to this industry, but also do it in a way that works with the normal reporting that they have to do, whether they're family right. offices and things like that. You've created like a, a framework, a legal framework that these offices or hedge funds or even individual investors are like traditionally used to. So they can finally like jump into our industry. You've created like their, a bridge, a bridge. Yeah. So for the, like some crypto folks are listening to it and they're like, well, like I can do all this stuff on a blockchain already. I could do that. Like, but the whole point here is, is remember to grow the industry and to grow this ecosystem and to make this a $20 trillion thing. That's not going to happen when we keep building multiple versions of MetaMask. We have to build out these different companies and services that work with the regulators that make the traditional money and the regulators comfortable working to marriage like it's a trifecta. Yeah, well, I, th I think that the, the Bitcoin community, as we'll give it an example, is, is you know, fractured. And sometimes there's all these discussions about forks and, and who, what side were you on back a number of years ago? Now, none of that actually leads to adoption. In fact, it's going to lead people to frustration. It's sort of like you know, competing rugby teams or, or, or soccer teams. Yeah, there's culture. You never actually would be able to get along. There's but if you want... If you want these coin. things to go commercial, you got to get beyond that and start thinking about, okay, well, how is the current system set up? Well, investors right now, real money companies like Fidelity and elsewhere, when they buy something, they like a prospectus. They won't buy something based upon an ICO white paper that's two or three pages. They want to have 300 odd pages filled with risk profiles that tell them these are all the things that can go wrong because that's a due diligence document and they want it to be audited by Ernst & Young. Or by you know one of the one of the large accounting companies, and they want major law firms behind it too, and they want to be able to go out there and do credit checks on the officers, on the management, and you can't do that with an ICO. But at the same time, if you do an ICO and you sell it to U.S. investors, whether they're the retail or institutional, it doesn't matter. Sure, you've got to have risk profile, and you've got to register it with the SEC. That's just the law. And some guys didn't do that. Like Telegram would be a good example. You know, XRP is going through its own issues right mm -hmm. now where they said, no, 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 this wasn't a security. Well, they may say that, but I know back in 2018, when we filed our first prospectus, we listed every cryptocurrency except for XRP, because at the time we saw it as being a security. And so I can't believe that we thought, we just, you know, a startup coming out of Tel Aviv, Israel, thought it was a security, but for some reason, the coin bases of the world didn't. Maybe it's because they made 15, 20% of their profits off of people trading XRP all day long. I don't know, but you know, we look at things certainly from that regulator side, and we want to make sure that crypto becomes something that the regular Joe, and I'll talk about the regular Joe, the regular person in America, it's like 65% of America has access to equities, either through a 401k, their IRA, however. And only about half a percent of the US has an electronic wallet. And so the audience for equities in a digital sense is much, much larger than the audience right now for crypto. Now, believe it or not, there's some people that go on Twitter and they see nothing about Bitcoin. They don't see a rocket ship or a moon any time of the day on their Twitter feeds. And that's most of America. But once you get into Bitcoin Twitter or crypto Twitter, that's all you see all day long. Sure. But when you take yourself out of that bubble that you're in, you find out that most Americans, most people on the street have no clue what we're talking about. Zero clue whatsoever. And so we have to educate. That's why I hope people. they listen to this show. We have to educate people and we have to tell people, you know, that the simplest definition of a security token is, look, it's a digital asset that trades 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can't lose it. 
You can keep it on your own wallet or you can keep it at a custodian. And at the same time, there's fractional ownership. Now think about fractional ownership. What does that mean? In a lot of countries around the world, they don't earn like, let's say $18. Let's say $18 is like the average cost of an equity in the US. They don't earn that. Maybe they earn that in a month, $18. But they'd love to be part of that American dream where they can buy equity and equity goes up every year because of inflationary, blah, blah, blah. Well, with fractional ownership, they'd be able to do that. Think about Amazon or Berkshire Hathaway. Wouldn't you love fractional ownership of these? Yeah, of Who course. could afford one share of Berkshire Hathaway? But if it was digital, everyone could afford it. Fractional ownership all around the world. And you don't have to be awake from 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. New York time zone in order to buy it. So anyone around the world could buy these equities if they were in digital form. And that's what we're trying to do. Now, it's called security token, which is like this whole tongue twister, only because the SEC right now has got you know fancy names for things. But at some point, it'll just be called equities. Once everything moves on to the blockchain, that's just how stocks will be. What are, that that word equities? I'm, I want to look up the definition of that because I wonder where like the origin of the word came from. Like when? Did well, they- you can have digital equity as well. You know, equity essentially tells you that you own a part of a company. Now, the yeah. INEX token is not an equity because the INEX token gives you rights to forty percent of our operating cat net operating cash flow. Our profits. Yeah, wait, so you're right. I want to I want to investigate that. So you said that every it won't be tokenized security because equity. So like the definition of equity is ownership of an asset that may have debts or other liabilities. Okay, so like a property. Yeah, when you equity when you own equity in the property, in Nike, you're owning a piece of the company. So the actual Security token is not a representation of an of an equity. The security token is the equity in it of itself. Uh, it, it could be. It depends. There's so it many. It could be. Yeah, and that's the, the goal. But that's yeah, so how we need to look at it. Inter- very our security token. No, security tokens can also be carved out of cash flows. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it could be anything. It could be except <laughs> for like slavery. Like you can't equitize someone's life. But you, people have well, tried. Well, actually, <laughs> you can take. Look, there, there's, there are athletes right now. Yeah. And they may want, you know, they've got a $100 million deal to be a pitcher for the Yankees. And maybe they say, you know what? I want the money today. I don't want it over the next 10 years. Sure. So I'm going to sell 40% of all of my future income to token holders that want to put up the money. Now, there's a risk there because maybe he gets injured. Maybe he gets traded. Maybe his career ends after two years and it's not a four-year career. But maybe he's like Tom Brady and the guy's doing this for 30 years. Yeah, and so there will be the ability at some point to tokenize athletes, sports teams, um, all sorts. I mean, I've talked to some folks that had uh, like horse semen and they wanted to tokenize that. So during when the, the grandchild of this, this horse is racing in a race and it wins the race, then the price of this is going to go up in price. It's, no, there, there's just okay, so many so infinite different ways that you can, like- you can bring tokenization. We talk about untold stories, right? So let's just say, for example, this show brought in $100,000 over the course of a year. And that would give it a market cap of $100,000. You create 100,000 tokens, each worth a dollar. And that's, that's a dollar net. You're giving me a dollar now, and you're getting a token that's the value of a dollar because you'll get a future dollar and then every future dollar thereafter. But what well, happens if even, I decide it, to not do the show anymore? It, but see, well, well, th- well, that's the risk that you would take. You bake so it. Yeah, well, it's more likely that what I would do is I would tokenize someone that had residuals. Let's say you're an actor oh, and you're on Star Wars. Yeah. And you know that every year you bring in around four or five million or you're, you're Mariah Carey. You get your Christmas album that every year brings in $10 million. 
net present value of that, let's say it's five times. So maybe it's 50 million. But if you were somebody and you could buy that and you're a Mariah Carey fan, you'd probably want to own that. And you'd probably pay more than 50 million for it. You'd probably pay maybe 60 million. So my wife a film and the film has already sold the distribution rights and it's already a funded project, greenlit studio. You're saying that the studio could then like, after the film is over, before it's actually distributed and they have the contracts for, let's just say they have the contracts for different distribution channels, they could then go and tokenize that against future lifetime residuals of a finished product. It's not for like, so that's the difference. I was, I, I've never understood what the difference in, in, so when you're crowdfunding, you're raising money for a future product. But with security token type of situations that we're talking about, and I don't know what the word for it is, it's really a product that already exists that can make money and have residuals and it's for the after fact. Or maybe it's a product that doesn't exist. Yeah. Inex is pre-revenue company. And we're going out there and saying, guys, this is what we're building. Yeah. So really we're selling a vision. This is what we're building. We want you to believe that we're going to actually build this. Now, you're, and if we do build it, you're going to get 40% of all the profits that we make. Now, it may be worth nothing. Maybe we can't, ex we can't execute on this, but if we can, that 40% might be worth something. Sure. And so folks come in. Now, the nice thing is that you sell these tokens to people. And maybe by the end of this, we'll have sold three, 4,000 tokens. Sorry, tokens to 4,000 people. These people are now owners in the profits of the platform. They're going to go out there on social media and say, guys, you got to onboard INEX. Guys, they're going to talk to their friends. You got to use INEX because they're owners. They're owners of the profits. Not of the company, but of the profits. Hmm. And they're going to go out there. And when you have 4,000 people going out there and talking about you okay. to all of their social media folks, it's incredible. So let's say you were to sell a percentage of the profits in the Charlie Shrem show. And then everyone goes out there that buys these tokens and tells everyone, you got to watch this show. And more and more people start watching your show because they get, obviously, the more people watch it, the more residuals go up because you're selling advertising. I should create like a loyalty token for this show. Well, that's exactly what it is. That, you know, think Not about a you know, token, but a loyalty type token I should do. Think about Marriott Bonvoy. You can use right? all my sponsors. Yeah, it's a good idea. Everyone's got Marriott Bonvoy. They're worth it. Let's, let's say I could own some, I could actually, as, as a member of Marriott Bonvoy, maybe there's 2 million members. And Marriott says, we're building this new hotel in Florida. It's going to cost $250 million. And they send an email out to every Marriott Bonvoy person says, look, if you want to invest in this, you can. And if you buy it, you'll get a percentage of the profits that comes in from this hotel. And if you stay there, you can pay with your security and you'll get a discount. Why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't people buy that? I'd, I'd want the discount. And even if I wasn't a token holder, before I go and stay there, I'd go into the market, buy the tokens, and then so use them to the pay fear. so I get a discount. This is the fear, right? You have like Marriott is... A trade of, you know, I don't know if they're, are they publicly traded? Let's just say they were for the sake of the conversation. I don't know. It doesn't matter. People buy and sell stocks for a lot of reasons. Future value earned, blah, blah, blah. At the, but also there's like some corporate responsibility attached. And if like Marriott went out and like was massacring people, the stock price would go down because human beings, we have like some moral aptitude. We have like moral responsibility. We're born with it, whatever. You know, we don't need to go down that, that debate. Isn't there a fear that if they like tokenize like Marriott, Marriott I, you know, I've like a hundred thousand Marriott points. There's probably a hundred billion of these points floating around the world. If they tokenize that, isn't there a fear now that like the value can be dumped to zero on their part because of 
Yeah, so I wouldn't I wouldn't tokenize the points. I'd use the mailing list. So why American Express hasn't tokenized their points yet because there's like so let let us say Marriott's going to build a new hotel. They got to find the funding from somewhere. They can either borrow it from a bank and then they have to pay it back, or they could raise it from Marriott Bonvoy members by sending them an email saying go to this website and invest. Guess what the cost of capital then is? It's zero. So the shareholders actually love that. Uh, when COVID hit, I got a letter from Mercedes Benz and the letter said, if you're willing to lend Mercedes money, like Mercedes was asking to borrow money from current Mercedes, like leaseholders. And I was like, that's so novel. And maybe that's been done before, but I've never actually got a letter. I never thought that that would be something that companies could actually ever do. If you think about anyone with a loyal following. Fans, you know, think about the, the, the Apple, Apple users or Tesla users. All these guys are really loyal followers of people. And when you come out with a new product, they'll buy it in a second, your sight unseen. The, you can use these folks, or not use, but you can encourage them to join you when you have new initiatives that you want to borrow from. Right now, if you're an artist or an actor or anything and you've got residuals or you want to do something, you've got to go to a bank or a private equity company and raise money from them. Well, you got to... Yeah, you create a business around yourself. Yeah, maybe you give up five, six percent of the, the overall money yeah. you're raising. It's crazy. But if you do it through a security token, guess what? You don't have to give up anything. You've got complete control. And the guy that's giving you the money is your fan. And the fan's gonna have their interests in the same way aligned as yours. I wanna get I want everyone to understand what you're describing, Douglas, is not new or novel. It's been it's been done. From even when Columbus had to go to the Spanish queen and ask for money to go in his voice, it's been done forever. But the reason that it's so difficult, costs so much money, and then those who actually do do it, the middlemen, get so rich. You ever wonder like how everyone, like some of these Wall Street folks have gotten rich over the years? That's how. Because the way to do it has been so inefficient and so fractured. So what all you did was take a model, create a turnkey and then create no latency. There's no middle. It's just full, full. You cut out all the middlemen. So, so where Bitcoin is like, if if you understand Bitcoin at a very high level, all it is is the is a battery of energy. Because in the past, there was never a way to like take energy, transfer that energy into something where it can be stored, and that's really what Bitcoin is. It's there's a cost to mining Bitcoin. And whatever that cost is, those miners are dumping Bitcoin every day. But on the other side, you have people who have such a belief in the value and the future value of Bitcoin that there is a perfect equilibrium of supply and demand and price uh, demand and selling pressure that it creates an equilibrium. That's all. It's it's, it's an energy battery. What you did here and what you're talking about is saying, wow, loyalty is energy. Loyalty is power. Business loyalty, personal loyalty. We're just tokenizing that energy. And that's what a security token is. We're tokenizing that energy and we're putting legal wraps on it so you can actually do it. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. People could do it in the past, but just not legally. Not legally, not fast, not easy, not in a way where the risk appetite can stay low and you don't need to go and convince people and do these crazy hodgepodge things. It's, it's, It's brilliant. Douglas, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. We just perfectly wrap this up and like everyone who's listening is like mind blown right now because that's the future of this whole thing. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here.